The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello, and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Welcome. As those of you who have tuned in to the last few Generation Progress Takeovers will know, we're currently recording live from each of our homes with guests calling in remotely to comply with stay-at-home measures. We want to thank everyone who is able to for staying at home right now and also thank all the essential workers out there who are working to help keep our communities afloat during this really scary time. This week, we're going to be talking about an alarming trend that has emerged during this pandemic. At least seven states across the South and the Midwest have used this pandemic to declare abortion services non-essential and attempt to prevent some or all abortions from taking place as long as the stay-at-home order or shelter-in-place orders are in effect. These policies are incredibly harmful and they're dangerous, but thankfully, many organizations are fighting back. Over the weekend, the debate in Texas reached the Supreme Court, but after an appellate court restored some abortion access in Texas last night, the battle is now back to the lower courts. To talk more about the situation and why abortion is very much an essential service, we're joined by Elizabeth Smith, the Chief Counsel for State Policy and Advocacy at the Center for Reproductive Rights, and Dr. Kristen Brandy, the Board Chair of Physicians for Reproductive Health and an Assistant Professor at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. To start us off, Elizabeth, how are reproductive rights and reproductive health being threatened during this pandemic? Um, why do you think they're being targeted? Thank you so much for having me. We have seen reproductive rights and abortion be targeted by anti-abortion lawmakers for, you know, at least the last decade. And so those anti-abortion lawmakers have um, worked on a coordinated campaign to limit or prohibit abortion. And what we're seeing in the pandemic is that these same lawmakers who have already demonstrated their hostility to abortion rights are now exploiting the pandemic to prohibit abortion and to try to shut down clinics. So Elizabeth, you, uh, you're the Chief Counsel for State Policy and Advocacy at the Center for Reproductive Rights. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role as the Chief Counsel um, and how you came to this work? Absolutely. So I direct the state policy work at the Center for Reproductive Rights, and my team works with state advocates and state legislators to enact laws to both protect and expand access to reproductive rights and to oppose the bans and restrictions that harm or limit reproductive rights. And, you know, prior to my work at the center, I did legislative work in the state of Washington, and I also was um, a health policy attorney. But my sort of um, journey as a reproductive rights advocate began in Texas when in high school I was a member of the Planned Parenthood of South Texas's Teen Action Group. 
and we were a bunch of teens from across the city of San Antonio who went and did safer sex presentations and handed out safer sex kits, um, you know, at concerts. So I have been doing this work a long time and it's critical. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think, Edwith, um, you also had a, a similar background getting started pretty early on. Is that right? Yes. Um, I started working on abortion access and reproductive rights uh, back in college. Um, and actually, Elizabeth and I both used to work together when I worked at the Center for Reproductive Rights. Um, I was on the federal team, which was really exciting. So a long, okay. long journey. Yes. There we go. I'm um, you. <laughs> I miss you guys, too. Um, Dr. Brandy, can you also give us a little bit of um, background on your role as a physician advocate and board chair of physicians um, for reproductive health? How did you come to your work in the repro rights space? Sure, and thanks so much for having me. Um, so I became an OBGYN physician in part because I'm just passionate about working with patients over the course of their life to figure out how to make decisions about their bodies, their families, and their futures. And Unfortunately, there's a lot of the work that I provide in healthcare that is dangerously politicized, including things like access to abortion, birth control, and prenatal and birth care. And so advocating for my patients um, has become part of my job um, and something that I think is vital to the work that I do. And so that's what led me to get involved with Physicians for Reproductive Health a couple of years ago. Um, Physicians for Reproductive Health is a national network of doctors that's fighting to ensure that everyone has access to reproductive health care services. I started by participating in their Leadership Training Academy program, um, which helps doctors find their voice as advocates. So I was trained on how to work with the media as well as lobbying my local politicians and other leadership skills in my communities. Um, from that, I was then voted onto their board of directors. And then this past November, I was lucky enough to be selected as board chair. And so I'm serving in that role in addition to my full-time career of uh, providing full-spectrum reproductive health care to my patients in New Jersey. So, Dr. Brandy, I mean, your work is um, always crucial, always essential. Um, and I noticed you mentioned um, you're working in New Jersey where we know um, that this crisis is particularly bad. Um, I wanted to um, acknowledge um, you you tested positive for COVID-19 just a few days ago. Um, how are you doing and what would you want people who haven't experienced this virus yet to know about it and how it's affecting healthcare providers? Well, thank you so much for asking. Um, I'm really fortunate. I'm, I'm okay. I should start with that. I'm okay. Um, I'm very, very lucky that I'm one of the um, COVID-19 patients that is essentially asymptomatic or have very mild symptoms. Um, my partner is also in healthcare, and so luckily we're both okay, although I'm coming to you from my quarantine. Um, I think it's really important for people to know that this virus is extremely contagious and that we really should all be taking it very seriously. Um, we should do our best to follow the guidelines that the CDC provides us, as well as our local officials. Um, and work um, to follow these rules of lockdown orders and social distancing and washing our hands. Um, and I strongly encourage anyone that is not a healthcare worker, an essential worker, um, to stay home, to protect those of us that are having to go to work every day to provide these essential services. The other thing to add is that it's been a really hard time to work under these circumstances. Um, I know my colleagues and I in healthcare are facing a lot of emotional stress, and we're doing the absolute best that we can to provide for the 
overwhelming amount of people that are coming into our clinics and our hospitals. Um, but the best thing that you can do to support us and not overburden the system is really just to stay at home. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you so much for your work. And I'm glad to hear that. Um, I'm glad to hear that you're doing uh, better. And it's just I like really appreciate um, the service that you're providing um, you know, to your community, especially um, as these times are just so much riskier. Um, so we'll be thinking about you to, um, to as you continue to rest up and recuperate. Um, and glad that we, <laughs> glad you have somebody to talk to, I guess, over the radio in quarantine. No, right definitely. Now. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, even with yeah. that happening. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just to pull back at this question again, um, at a high level, how are reproductive rights and reproductive health care being threatened during this pandemic? And why are they specifically being targeted? Um, Elizabeth, you talked a little bit about this, um, but I'd love to also hear from Dr. Brandy if you can share a little bit about that with us too. Sure. I know as an OBGYN that abortion care is a part of comprehensive reproductive health care. Um, and that it's essential healthcare. Um, and that hasn't changed since there's been a pandemic. Um, it's a time sensitive issue. It's something that everyone needs access to. And unfortunately, some anti-abortion politicians are using this as an opportunity to restrict access to abortion care instead of doing what I think they should be working on, which is keeping our community safe um, and focusing on getting people the testing and the equipment that they need. Um, I really think that it's unconscionable. Um, I'm not a politician, but I, I wish I could tell politicians that what we need right now in this crisis is to focus on protecting our communities um, and getting healthcare uh, providers the essential equipment that they need, not restricting access to abortion care. Um, and it's really unfortunate that they're focusing on this instead of making healthcare more safe. Um, that they're actually making healthcare less safe for people, um, especially in this time. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's exactly right. Um, so we're excited to talk more about this topic um, after the break. You've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, um, and we will be right back with you in just a few minutes. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, I am your co-host Charlotte Hancock, and I'm joined here um, by my co-co my, by my co-host <laughs> Edwin Thijin. Uh, to everybody who's listening in, and for bearing with us as we've had a couple of audio glitches, you might have everybody uh, working from home, um, overloaded internet, um, loaded connecting platforms. Um, as Ed was mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are running this for producer uh, Mark and our senior press associate Emily for keeping us going during all these uh, technical snafus and everything. Thank you so much for uh, dealing with that. So um, remotely, uh, we have um, Elizabeth Smith, the Chief Counsel, right? Um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being with us. Kristen Brandy, um, the Board Chair of Physicians for Reproductive Health and an Assistant Professor. Thank you, Dr. Brandy, for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Dr. Brandy, I think I wanted to go back to, we were just before this commercial break, we were talking about um, the situation in Texas, uh, 
I mean, <laughs> the wild situation in Texas, um, Texas and other states, uh, similar bans um, for abortion access. So what should people seeking abortions or who may need to seek an abortion who live in these areas know right now? Um, I think where it's, I think it's important um, where can people go who need to find the latest information on abortion access? And I recognize that it's such a confusing time when things are changing day by day. Um, people that are trying to listen out there and seeking abortion care. So while some states are making it more difficult, there are advocates and providers um, that are on the ground working every day to make sure that you can still access the health care that you need. Trying our best on the ground to get you the care. Um, just bear with us and bear with the politics that we're trying to deal with. I think it's really, it's frustrating um, that some this as an opportunity to restrict access to abortion. Um, instead of focusing on what we need to be giving health providers the protective equipment that they need, um, not restricting access. So I wish politicians knew that by closing clinics, by restricting access to things, enforcing things like state mandated waiting periods. All these things are um, burdensome to patients on a regular day, but they're actually quite dangerous now during this epidemic. Um, imagine people having access care. One, people already have to pay for childcare and transportation. They're just exposing people um, to this virus and bringing it back to their communities for no good medical reason. Um, I think it's also important for people to know that having um, in the reproductive justice movement, um, so things like not, not only just access to abortion care, but how this is particularly affecting black and brown communities, people of low income, LGBTQ, um, do they have access to, you know, food um, and water? I think this is highlighting so many important issues right now. Um, but I think we can do um, as best we can and just to help to, for people to know out there that we're still out here. Yeah. And thank you. I mean, thank you so much for doing that. I know um, you're putting yourself in riskier situations, um, unable to social distance. Um, and then, uh, you know, folks who are being held in detention centers at the border, um, being fully unable to uh, to to have places where the conditions have always been bad, um, but just um, now it's, it could potentially be a death sentence. Um, so uh, totally throwing into some, you know, stark relief um, how important these issues have always been, um, but just how much more dire and desperate some of them are um, right now. Um, so um, Elizabeth, I think picking up on what um, Edwith was asking there um, a little bit on how, what you hope to see change um, as a result of this pandemic, um, what would you like to see states and local areas doing proactively uh, to protect the right to an abortion, both during the pandemic and once we're past it? That is a, a great question. And I have so many hopes and dreams for after the pandemic, but you know, very explicitly, states need to put in place policies that protect the right to abortion and policies that ensure that everyone who wants to access abortion care is able to do that. And there are a variety of ways that states can do those things. So to make that a reality, states could create um, or ensure coverage, both private and public, through the state Medicaid program or through um, you know, private insurance mandates. They 
could states could repeal laws that treat abortion providers differently than other healthcare providers. They could repeal medically unnecessary requirements that are making pregnant people and providers less safe during the during this pandemic, like Dr. Brandy talked about. And they could really ease all of the various hurdles that pregnant people have to jump through in order to get care. Because again, not only is abortion essential medical care, but it is reproductive health care and should not be treated differently than all other kinds of essential care that people need. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. I think those are uh, great words to leave us with right now. Um, as we head over to our next commercial break, uh, you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, um, and we will be right back um, after this message. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm your other co-host, Edward Theogene. Um, and so we're here in our, our final segment um, with our guests, uh, who both joined us remotely um, from their own homes. Um, and thanks so much for being with us. We're speaking today with um, Elizabeth Smith from the Center for Reproductive Rights and also Dr. Kristen Brandy, uh, the board chair of physicians for reproductive health, as well as an assistant professor at Rutgers. Um, and so uh, I, we're, I wanted to bring us back with um, hopefully something that's a little less dire, but maybe um, that might galvanize people into action, letting people know where they can um, act to um, prevent some of this, um, some of these um, restrictions to um, abortion and um, reproductive health care access. Um, so we wanted to make sure to touch on how people can take action moving forward. Um, so, uh, Elizabeth, how can people um, who are concerned about abortion and other reproductive health services being threatened during this crisis speak up? Who should they be talking to? What should they, who should they be calling? Um, should they be calling their reps, state legislatures, governors? Yeah, they should be, to, a short answer is everybody, right? <laughs> You're like, um, yes. People, <laughs> yes. People, people should be calling um, their congressional representatives and their senators and ask them to support two federal bills the Women's Health Protection Act and the Each Woman Act, which would essentially ensure that people across the country can access abortion. In addition, they should call their state representatives and their state senators. A sort of secret of state legislative advocacy is that one person can really make a difference. And so making those phone calls, you know, once we can go to meetings, going to meetings with your state uh, representatives and senators, really important. The other piece is that um, we need to support the people in the clinics who are doing this work. So one thing that people can do now is anyone who has received a stimulus check but is still working and doesn't need those funds immediately could consider donating some portion or the entirety of their stimulus check to an abortion fund in one of the states we've been talking about. Because right now, those abortion funds are helping people get to states where they can get care, helping them with logistical support and financial support. And so in this moment where abortion is essential and it is even more at risk, 
donating that money could have real lasting um, impacts on pregnant people's lives. All right, thank you so much, Elizabeth. Um, and just real fast, we've got about 20 seconds left. I just want to know um, what websites should people check out, Elizabeth and Dr. Brandy, if they want to find more about your work? ReproRights.org. Great. Yep. Uh, Cheers.org. Thanks so much.